Well, good evening from London. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. The late Queen kept her cards close to her chest. She understood that the, the majesty of monarchy depends on dignified silence. That's how the royal family holds the country together, even as our politicians rip each other apart. But King Charles and his laborious apprenticeship as Prince of Wales, well, he never quite got that silent telegram. In the 1980s, he rejected an extension to the National Gallery in pretty colourful terms. But what is proposed seems to me like a monstrous carbuncle on the face of a much loved and elegant friend. Funny enough, a monstrous carbuncle on an elegant friend is how some people view the Duchess of Sussex. Well, Charles went on to rankle Sir John Major in the 90s with his views on homelessness and poverty. His black spider letters riled ministers with barbs about everything from human rights to the war in Iraq. He branded the plan to send migrants to Rwanda as appalling. It's no secret that the king is, as Prince Philip would have put it, a bunny hugger. He's a gilt-edged eco-warrior with an Aston Martin, great car, by the way, that runs on leftover English wine, and he's been very fond of talking about it. That's why it came as a great relief when he reassured us that once king, he keep his opinions firmly in the royal vault. But I think it's vital to remember there's only room for one sovereign at a time, not two. So you can't be the same as the sovereign if you're the Prince of Wales or the heir. But the idea somehow that I'm going to go on exactly the same way if I have to succeed is complete nonsense because the two, the two situations are completely different. Clearly, I, I won't be able to do the same things I've done, you know, as heir. So, of course, you operate within the, the constitutional parameters. Hmm. Do you, Your Majesty? Well, few issues have strained our political parameters more than Brexit. It's toppled governments, ended careers and turned our political parties inside out. The Northern Ireland problem has been the most vexed of the lot. The whole future of the United Kingdom could rest on the Prime Minister's ability to flog his new deal to the arch-Brexiteers and the Irish Unionists. So the King's decision to host EU President Ursula von der Leyen at Windsor Castle yesterday has rattled cages. Frankly, it smacked of a blatant attempt to strong-arm Unionists and Brexiteers, who are also passionate royalists, into backing Sunak's deal. It's even called the Windsor Framework. And tonight, the DUP Sammy Wilson launched an astonishing and predictable broadside against Charles's involvement in the deal, claiming it puts the future of the entire monarchy at risk. I don't know whether it was his choice or whether the government uh, persuaded him to do it, but I think it's a very, very dangerous position for him to have taken. It is a bad decision, and if he keeps going down this route and politicising the monarchy, then the status that his mother had he will never acquire and he will put the monarchy, in my view, in jeopardy because people will simply see it as a partisan rather than a national institution. Well, this debate will only intensify. Next month, the King's first state visit as monarch will be to France and Germany, the great power brokers of the EU, and not a traditional pilgrimage to the Commonwealth. It's a far cry from the Brexit dream of global Britain with trade deals burnished by royals voyaging on a new royal yacht. We don't know whether Rishi Sunak is wielding the king to get Brexit done or if the king himself was itching to get involved. But just as the future of the union could hinge on Northern Ireland, the future of the monarchy actually could hinge on the king keeping his vow to be silent about politics and keep his nose out of it. It's in everyone's best interest, I believe, if he does that. Well, joining me now is historian Sir Anthony Selden, journalist and friend of the Queen Consort, Petra Wyatt and author of The Windsors at War, Alexander Lama. Welcome to all of you. Alexander, let me start with you. 
It just struck me that this is very good for Rishi Sunak. If you're trying to get your deal through, positioning the new monarch of the United Kingdom as somehow supporting all this is great politics, great optics. It's not so great, though, if you're King Charles, in my estimation, and you want to make a statement about impartiality, which is what his mother was, of course, renowned for. But what I think is very interesting is that the call didn't come from 10 Downing Street to bring in King Charles for the meeting with Ursula. It was from Buckingham Palace. Do we know that? We do know that. Right. It, was, it was said yesterday that, it was, that this is from Buckingham Palace, not from Downing Street. Which is, really, to me, even more problematic, to quote the word of the, of well, the millennium. I think it's deeply problematic because I think that what essentially King Charles is saying is, no, I'm bored of being on the sidelines. I want to go into the centre. I want to have my voice heard. And this is the man who, as you said a second ago, was the Black Spider Memo Man. Mm. This is the person who's always, always wants to have his voice heard. And now we can see that his sitting down with Ursula for their cosy tea together is something that essentially he's saying, I am involved in this. I want to have... Well, personally, you want to get involved in this. And I do want itching. to get involved. First of all, I'm interested in what you say, but this is not quite what I've heard. And as we know, that the, the monarch cannot meet a political leader without the PM's permission. I heard that... Um, it did come from Danity, and he was happy to do it. And he is simply carrying. I mean, on. either will it. Either... Wait a minute, can uh, I just finish? Yeah, you can, but I want to just on that one point. I think either way, the fact is he did it. So whether it came originally from Downing no, Street, but it, yes, Charles but has been around a long time. He, you know, As, here's my point then. Before you finish, my point is it doesn't really matter actually to the optics. The optics are he did the meeting. Yes. And this, in my opinion, it flies in the face of his vow not to get well, political. No, it hasn't. It hasn't, because he cannot avoid meeting political leaders and hosting them. His mother hosted monstrosities. He, she hosted Robert Mugabe. She no. hosted Nikolai Ceausescu. That's very different. It's not very, it's very different. different. You're why. implying that Charles, by hosting Ursula van der Leyen, is somehow sanctioning a pro-EU... I'm saying if he does it on the very day that the British Prime Minister announces his new proposal. He didn't for a have dip. any choice well, in the matter. Of course he did. He doesn't have to do it. If he'd refused to do it, then there would have been a constitutional All right, scandal. well, let's talk to the constitutional expert, uh, Sir Anthony Selden. Now, listen, you know your history better than any of us put together. Has this happened before? Not uh, like this, no. Uh, and therefore, it is uh, without precedent. The monarchs have always seen distasteful people. Sometimes uh, they became distasteful after they were seen. So it is um, interesting territory, and I would agree with Petronella that he would not have seen it without the Prime Minister's endorsement, and he is clearly below the, uh, the Prime Minister. I so... did read today, may have even been the spectator, actually, I did read today that in 1974, Edward Heath persuaded the Queen to go to France to endorse our entry into the EU. So that, yeah. if that is... I, I wasn't aware of that. If that is true, and that was what happened in the way that it was reported, that would seem to be not entirely different to this. And doesn't that, therefore, appear slightly undermine your argument that this was without precedent? Well, it would make me think that I was surprised the Queen did that and maybe she shouldn't have done. Uh, I, don't, I, I, actually, I don't think the monarchs should ever get involved with... We saw the huge row when it was reported that the Queen 
veered towards a view about Scottish independence. Absolutely. It doesn't, it doesn't and do Michael for... Gove's claim at one point that she was pro-Brexit, right. which so they, I these, don't believe. Yeah, but these things, um, look, they're all, they can be very self-serving, those claims, but my point is the monarch has to be impartial because the monarch represents everybody in the United Kingdom, not just singular groups of people who support but, a particular... But the monarch is doing his best... Charles is doing his best, in my view. Uh, was, it, okay. was, it, was it smart timing is the real question? It, well, I, look, I think that history will judge this to have been a wise and a prudent thing because, Piers, this is where we'll disagree again, because the, this Brexit thing has gone on and on. Here is an agreement, this is my view, which... Um, uh, which, which brings together most of the nation. Northern Ireland, for goodness sake, voted to remain. Uh, we just need to get over okay, with it. But, I mean, we're but, all bored with Brexit. We need be, to move on. But the reason I have a problem with the timing, Alexandra, yeah. is that this is not a done deal yet. This is no. a proposal from Rishi Sunak, which has the support of the EU. But the real issue will be, say the DUP decide, you know what, we're not having this deal, and they reject it. Then you have the king... Yeah. supposedly embracing all this, and then the DUP saying, forget Excuse it. Excuse me, but the well, DUP... Then he's into a real the political... Yeah, precisely. Hang on, Petra. You must let Alexander speak. <laughs> I'm you, terribly you sorry. But I mean, we don't have any interrupting on this programme. But you might say it was an ARGA-ready deal, because ultimately Rishi has raised the game a bit since Boris Johnson's lamentable efforts. Yeah. But the reality is, is that King Charles probably shouldn't have met Ursula von der Leyen yesterday, because the optics of it, the short-term advantage is that the Windsor Agreement, sanctioned by the King, it looks something which is mm. given the stamp by the establishment. Before Parliament has Before even Parliament. debated this. And we don't know what the DUP are going to say. We don't, know what the, no. we don't know what the awkward squad of Conservatives are going to say. I mean, I'm sure we're all waiting with bated breath for Boris Johnston's view on it. I Actually, mean... I, I can't think of anything I'm waiting less, <laughs> less for than <laughs> Boris Johnson sticking his big nose into <laughs> no. this once again. As you said, you just finished a tome on Boris Johnson. Literally. I have. I have. You put the final today. strokes today. Today. Um, which I hope is, a, is a, in, in some way <laughs> reflective of a wider closing of the chapter on Boris Johnson because I felt he, in his tenure he was actually very damaging to the office of Prime Minister in many ways. And I, I tweeted today, not from a political perspective or partisan perspective, because um, I've actually voted for both parties over the years, but I did tweet that it's, I find it reassuring that in Rishi Sunak, compared to his two predecessors at least, we at least have somebody who looks conscientious, eloquent and intelligent. Yes. And thoughtful, like he's trying to think yes. these things through, yeah. in, and also quite collegiate in the way he's embraced the EU to try and get a deal yeah. done to get through all this. Okay, um, I think that's what history will say. And uh, well, look, Boris Johnson had an amazing opportunity after Brexit to um, make Britain's make new Britain role Britain. in the world <laughs> and, and, and to remake to remake the government. But he blew remake, it, didn't he? He yeah. blew everything. He didn't yes. even get Brexit done. He did But Brexit, he didn't even expect he, Brexit he didn't, to win. He didn't. To quote Michael Caine, bloody blow the bloody doors off. So history will say that Boris Johnson had an opportunity, blew it because he wasn't serious enough, yeah. didn't know what he wanted to do, didn't know how to take people with him, didn't know how to be Prime Minister, uh, and wasn't serious enough. The only bonus to for Boris it. Johnson is that it turned out his immediate successor was even worse. <laughs> <laughs> and couldn't low, even, out, uh, couldn't even outlast a letter. <laughs> a low bar, Piers. Yeah. A, a very low bar. <laughs> well,